So what I thought I would do is read a few poems from this book, The Garden Room, which is my most recent book. And the poems are very short. And they're also, they're, they're all, almost all object poems. And I, I didn't even realize this when I was reading the poems for the prize and judging the prize. However, um, your poems also were object poems and had objects in them. So maybe I have a predilection for that kind of poem. I do. Because I started out as a designer, and I'm really materialistic, and I just love things. Um, <laughs> I love things. So these, so these poems, in these poems I tried to, I was inventing a new way for myself to write. I have my first book, and the way that I wrote the poems in that book, and then when I, I started to write this new way, I needed to invent a way for myself to write, because the way that I found that I was writing no longer felt natural to me anymore. It felt like I was translating. There was, you know, like an extra step of translating, and I, I didn't really know who I was translating for. I mean, it, when you write a poem, you're always translating. You're always taking, an, you know, an image or an experience or something, and then it comes through your brain and, you know, into your pen and onto the paper, onto the computer. But those, those poems, I don't know, the way, the way I was, it's like the person I was when I wrote that book just didn't exist anymore. So I invented the way to write these poems, and then I'm going to read some of these, and then I'm going to read new poems that I wouldn't have been able to figure out how to write if I hadn't written these poems. So these poems are mostly object poems, and don't, you know, it's not that you can, especially for the parents here, if you haven't listened to a lot of poetry, it's not that you can listen to them and hear a story or anything like that. I'm just trying to capture the consciousness of different objects and to write these poems I went into a sort of trance <laughs> to write them and then I, I would look and look and look at something and then take a lot of notes. And also the, these poems are quite short but they were incredibly long when I wrote them and also this book is only about 40 pages but it was, a, it was 130 pages and then I cut it. So this is, they're very boiled down. The first poem I read has no title. <clears throat> to the sun, whose strict interpretations are no help to me this morning, you can't meet my need to go through the world unseeingly. I must attend your demonstrations. Night the sugar, turn light to salt, cups to miner's lamps, then back to whole seasons of rain in the subcontinent. I move in dimness, the lynched thing. I hate it that I can't pick up your dimes. You fling your parachute above my head and excuse me in a shell of private emphasis. My soul redeemed for coins the size of dinner plates. This black wet I walk myself through is the world I am ashamed of needing is meaning. So I'm apparently conflicted about loving things so much. <laughs> Probably, I think, I don't know. I was talking to a few of you before. I think maybe we all are. <clears throat> Daffodils. God's cold call goes colder, goes black and white. A fulfillment as of anger, quick. One sign points to ammonia. The other, tons in my body, tons. 
They startle like gunshot, a punch in the face, then rise into air as if burning there, a hole in the room I could thread myself through. Color of the sheets. Far from the dominant science of white, I found this white in continual pour. In the midst of this ordinary place, the bed, flooding the space between my eyes, a sudden clearing and then a floating at waist level. Neither putting itself gaily forth as a sail, nor sequencing itself like a pearl. Shall I hand you such noblesse? It makes my heart clutch out to see a thing so long moored finally commence. Will I see it fail in your sights, in the midst of an ordinary place, whiteless? I weep at how I can count on it, such unreasonably good fate in the midst of a life. Even a small Satan like myself, it will accept. Uh, maybe I should have, I should have a different emphasis on that line. I weep at how I can count on it. So I think I have this fear. I mean, you know, I say fear, but it's, you know, but it is this idea that I'm afraid, I'm almost afraid that if you, not, not you, all of you, but a specific you that I was writing the poem about, you know, if you couldn't see this particular thing that I saw, then maybe it would fail to exist, you know, and it, mean, it meant so much to me to see this particular color this way. Um, but then maybe if you can't see it, maybe it doesn't matter. The maid bed is a highway between us. We go away from each other. Further, it accepts contagion, conferring upon it the dignity of a low voice. Between our birth and death, this place marker, between sex and fights, the, med, the maid bed turns a clean cheek. It makes us believe we are clean, too. It breathes slowly, evenly, like Gandhi. If this is true, then what kind of mind must I have? Surely not disordered. A desk. Solicitous of its own business, not chewable and never mordant. How to say a desk as I would say a hand. I look out from the brows, wooden, unaltering. Perhaps a desk is more important. Perhaps I cannot have a sentence without a desk. More pepper than salt, more voila. Perhaps in life, one does not discover a desk enough. It's cruelty and trousers. Simple as a line of dancers, full of bone. Is a desk modestly a field? No, a turnstile, an airplane wing. You can count on railroad bridges, on cut celery. You can count on the flatness of bateau, on all that is not the flesh such as a deck of cards. The boxes fit one inside the next. The cutlery is put away, sturdy to push on as bike paddles. All this belongs to the desk and a berm awash with tide. All things at rest, not panicked or insane, as if the heavy telephones were back. Oh, some of the, a few of the poems in here have sound effects. But I'm gonna I'm gonna just read them except for one instance, and I'll ask for a volunteer. <laughs> <laughs> oh. 
someone will do it. A ceiling. That old shepherd action, sweet escarpment, swaths full in circles, tide washed to the wakened edge. Well, I was just thinking, I was just the sound of scissors cutting paper. In that instance, the sound of scissors cutting paper, just the, actually reading the words was so close to the sound of scissors cutting paper that I think it, it worked. And here's another one that kind of works that way. The unmade bed. Side of steamship and white smoke, black parts beckoning. As in jump, as in unquiet, not wasted, save churning over itself. A dream in the midst and a rolling pin. Unmade beds are cantering. Argument of the pillows, kumquat or inquest. An unmade bed unrolls a room, but not really anywhere. Why, says the room. The room cannot bear the bed, and the bed is bothered. Its waves grow small. Sound of cereal poured into a bowl. And so that sound effect was, the other one had kind of visual meaning and oral. You know, I grab, and if I put a sound effect in a poem, it's because I feel like I need to, I want to grab it from this other world of perception and stick it in the poem because it somehow belongs with the object. Like, it belonged with the ceiling. It just did. Um, but the cereal bowl was really about my mother, who was a, um, an insomniac and was up frequently in the middle of the night, and when I would hear her in my half-awake I would hear this sound. No, she was awake because I would hear the sound of something. Something. Imagine the sound of like special K being poured into a ceramic bowl. So that's then like a that's the association there. Oh, and here's where I need a volunteer. Can somebody make a few short, sharp barks? It's like three. Barking. You can. Okay, just take. If you were kind of like a, a dog up the street, a little terrier or something. Get it? Okay, great. Okay. Are you ready? Okay. Junk drawer. Smell of jargon. Bad things you say to your husband. Praise and bombs for the orderly house. What spins forth will apply. For instance, brackets, orange rhyming with courage, God the kitchen constable. Nothing here pretends to be not hard wind or macadam. Thank you. To write more. But in that case, I really felt that these sharp barks belonged to this, you know, this object, which is you probably have a junk drawer, right? So it's full of sharp things, you know, a screwdriver and, you know, a piece of toy airplane wing or just weird things like that. And it just, it just, that was in it, too. Do you think we should read it again? <laughs> <laughs> Do you want to? Okay. Um, All right, I'll just read two more very, very short ones, and I'll read some new, new ones. A window screen. Unbroken skim of night. Headlights elsewhere, elsewhere. 
a field where soldiers marched away. Light from someone's kitchen that now is gone. The world. The world is a skin that is pinned down, neatly pinned down at its edges. These are all from a new manuscript called Just a Second Ago. All you do is perceive. I was given a city with coffee and sunlight, a coin purse smell of the subway, I wrote. In the mornings, policemen would stand, light-struck and pleasured over trays of Danish. Mornings, I wrote, and workmen raised up their nets. Hallelujah, the brick, the debris. I was given a city. The city got between me and God. I was given a house. The curtains breathed over wide sills. There was a leaf in the middle of the floor. I loved the crispness of the leaf. I loved the privacy of sills. The sills sailed. I fell into the sills. The sills got between me and God. I was given a mud hut. The walls curved to meet the ceiling like a tongue curves to make a word. I was given God with salt and sweet together. I was given a piece of meat. I loved the flesh. I was given bread only. I was given only water. I loved the coolness of the water. The water got between me and the feast. I had an empty plate, and there was the color of it. I cannot even describe the color of it. I was given a cell with a window. There was a certain light at evening. I was given nothing but the air, and the air dazzled. another poem of furniture in it. <laughs> so that's the, the segue from the other book. <clears throat> Suicide Cascade. The saddest time in my life was also the time the most people said, you look beautiful. There was a poet I would meet for coffee. He was married. He wanted to know, would I have an affair? Would I? What was I doing? He eyed my well-turned runner's legs. There was a poet who killed herself. The last time I saw her, she made a wide, generous gesture, arms outswept, in a room where people stood strapping tape on cartons full of books. Four dollars, said the poet, swung her arms as if she were walking through a field of empty Saturday, nothing to do. The saddest time in my life was also the time I wrote about furniture. The heavier, the better. A butcher block says, live here. Says, fish on ice, knife marks, steady, steady, loaves of bread. I mailed myself back from a crater, weighted myself to the heavy legs of tables, waited for a place to change the ending. The poet tried to reach her therapist before she killed herself, is a place you can change the ending. Open her book to the poem about the Evidence, you want ambulance, you want knife marks, you want serious, you want serious, you want hard rain, noise, turbines, thumbnails. Come to a party, someone says to a woman who resembles me, 
exactly feature for feature that isn't me on the saddest day of my life I sit cross-legged at a party pretend to eat a piece of pie pie what world is that from turn back one page to a safety pin or a spring stroll in the sun that would keep you from ever walking up the edge of that poem four dollars said the poet four dollars in a meadow full of cows, four dollars we're aiming toward heaven, four dollars Shakespearing over our Earth's curve. So I said I wrote um, these the poems in the garden room, and I would go into these kind of trances and look at these objects around me. And um, so now I have a, a young child, and the trance, so the trance is now the segue. The trance has continued in my life. And um, this, so, I mean, I couldn't have written this poem either, the way the language works, you'll see, uh, without having figured out how to write the other poems. But also, the trance, but the trance here is different, and I don't know if there are people in the audience who have had kids, but um, when you, there's actually a, a chemical, they're called oxytocin, that if you're a, and, it, and actually everybody, men and women both have this, it's a hormone and it's a neurotransmitter. Anyway, it makes you feel really, really great. And <laughs> really great, depend, you know, in my case, huge hits of it <laughs> that came from being around, just being around the baby. It sounds very weird, but maybe someday it will make, this will all make sense someday and you'll think, oh my God, this is what she was talking about. <laughs> Nobody talks about this. Everyone talks about how wretchedly hard it is, and, but it's not really um, what it is. But then there's this, so it makes up for it. Habit. The box. Maybe the baby will play with the box, and she can sit, not carry, not pick him up. He does. Dreamily opens the plastic lid. He examines the lip of the box where it clicks shut. He slowly, slowly pulls a piece of paper through a thin slot on top. At first, being alone with the baby in the box is a dim, half-conscious satisfaction, like running your fingertips over the dry skin of your feet. He turns the box over in his arms. She gives him a necklace. It falls through his hands like milk. He licks the metal clasp, and her scalp, filigreed all over, electrifies. She comes a little awake. When she holds out the box, he will bubble and tree and ha and silence. He makes sounds that run over her back like mice, sounds that cause the thinnest pins to vibrate that are the silken grooved edge of a guitar string not even being touched. Now she must daily use the baby to feel this feeling, a needle afloat on plain water. <coughs> In the world of the box and the necklace, there are no, there are no words, there is no appetite. There is not sex. His sounds take sex away. Is she blameless? Is the box a form of love? If you walked in and saw her, it would be that scene in the movie where the boyfriend opens the door and day has passed into night and he finds her on the floor. Dull spoon, burnt match, used up. So it really is this heroine-like 
high that you can get. Um, that I, I guess you know the species has provided so that you don't <laughs> throw the baby out the window or eat it. <laughs> but I really would employ. I had a whole you know I had a whole bunch of objects that I would get. You know if he wasn't playing in this one certain way, I would you know lure him with these certain objects. And I thought oh, maybe I can get him to do that. And I thought I was really the only person who had experienced this. And I thought oh it's just because I was so tired. Um, or, oh, it's just, and I also get migraines, so I thought, oh, okay, it's just because I was really, really tired and I got migraines, so which are sort of make me trancy anyway. But then a friend with a small child said, have you ever heard about oxytocin because it's, I thought, oh, that's a, hmm, his sounds, 13 months. Different sized fiddleheads are questions coming up. And thinner-stemmed dandelions also mean asking. Small scoops dig all the time into salt mounds. Being fine threads and strings to tie up the meat and lengths of rat tail cord, his sounds bind me to him. Wrinkling tissue is a fraction of the pleasure he takes in chrome. Alert, unhappy somewhat, in the form of wet static, a radio in a storm. In the front seat, I say to myself, is somebody back there? Because how can it be there's somebody back there? A spine made of moths, wings pulsing. Dried leaves scrape over my neck. Next comes a long unfolding of a map. An antique piece of machine goes around and around, lever cold in the hand, slow, slow, slower. A stream of rusted water, that's him coming to a stop. Better hurry home. <laughs> but also, but I think that was, you know, that seems to me a really, really sweet poem, but I'm always, I'm very, very dubious of sweet, <laughs> sweet poems. But that, but this, you know, odd trance also allowed me to, curiously, even though it makes you feel really great, it, you also feel like you're drawing very, very close to something dangerous too. Um, and I don't know. I think that, you know, in trying to avoid sentimentality in poetry, especially if you're trying to write about a young child, which is just the most loaded subject, you know, that could send your poems right over the edge of the cliff into, you know, cute, <laughs> sweet, sticky. So this trance was very, you know, seemed very dangerous and useful in that way. It helped, you know, kept me away from that edge. So I just want to read a couple of object poems, like Joy Cat's object poems, you know, 5.0 or something. Because <laughs> Jeremy had asked about them. I do still write them. Scarves. In the bazaar of a distant country, you can try on a scarf and consider yourself in a hand mirror. What is as easy and agreeable far from home as a silk square printed with hounds and birds and seated people? Walking along, thinking of the color of it tucked in your bag is like remembering the Hindi word for dog just when you need it. Wearing a scarf is another matter. One feels self-conscious as an oil painting bought to match a sofa. At the accessories counters of department stores, scarves mass like drunk slatterns 
One of them learns the color of your dress and offers a perfunctory comment on it, or picks up, they say, like a pup picks up fleas, the color of your eyes. Don't hate yourself for being easily flattered. Think of Bollywood starlets, their heads wrapped carefully as loaves. These scarves are your scarves, not the lengths of silk, limp as ancient lettuce in your closet. Drive off singing in a cream-colored convertible. The Lettuce Bag. The loveliest lettuce comes in a plastic sleeve that expands web-like to cradle the largest red leaf or the smallest butter, butterhead. If a rose were the size of a head of romaine, its petals would be held unbruised. The lettuce bag would not distort the most bouffant beehive hairdo. Indeed, you could slip it over an actual beehive, a small one, and its grid of plastic tethers would barely impress the delicate wax. If labias were in season, their tender interiors, their roundness would be touched by the grocer's mist. The lettuce bag has the same selflessness that a good translator has for a French palm. The little plastic sleeve moves me like a suffragette, but I am being too grand. Abundantly soft and pliant, its perforations clean, the bag has a modest beauty. In the modern refrigerator, though, lettuce goes limp as a penoir unless stored in an astronaut helmet. <laughs> Crispers. Pull one off the track and you'll see, getting it back into the fridge is like pushing a wheelchair uphill in a stiff wind. We had 11 refrigerators in 11 houses in 11 cities. Now we have only their crispers, shaming us with bits of our old rind. In the basement, they hold air and neat quartz. They say to no one, lettuce, lettuce. Lettuce. In the sudden light of a bare bulb, there are many unidentical whites of stultify, of digest, of slipper, of blind shoot off a potato. Their rigid, purposeless sides is as if I have stripped a blanket off paralytic legs. For God's sake, go upstairs, open a beer. All true, that's all true. Eleven refrigerators. My father still has many, many of those crispers. There's a fire. The house next door to my dad's house burned, and it was really a terrible fire. They gutted the whole house, but they had these, you know, huge dumpsters outside. So one night I was visiting, like visiting my father, and I, I went to the basement, and my dad had gone to sleep. So I took some of the crispers and I went out, you know, I like tiptoed outside and heaved them into the dumpster. <laughs> it made me so happy. I don't think he's ever figured, figured this out. <clears throat> Packing tape. Descendant of Puritans, Packing tape vouchsafes little intelligence of its overseas journeys. In the desk drawer, it's mum, set to do the job. As my father asks no questions of his breakfast, it fills the stomach. Prepare to bind mightily the flaps of your box. Inside, some fragile thing float in shredded paper. 
With the first pull, the roll makes a hurt growl. Strap the long sides quickly and the tape sounds like fish slapping a deck. Ease the last inches around the edge, hear child hands patting wet sand. The roll's mean spaniel teeth bite off any length precisely. Now, even if dropped down the long front steps, the box will harbor its contents. A hundred cartons sealed thusly gleam in moving vans, the sole glamour of packing tape being its shine, thick as lip gloss on a teenage daughter. So these poems are really about me. So yeah, um, as you know, the moving, all the moving, the you know, 11 refrigerators was true, and so that I think is a poem about moving boxes. And the, interesting, in the, in the poem Habit, there's a box too. Hmm. I'm just gonna, because I write poems in lots of different ways, I never write one kind of poem, so it's in some ways a little frustrating because it takes me a long time to put together a book. Um, you know, sometimes the poems just seem too different from each other to work, but in this manuscript, I don't know, I, hope, I think they work, maybe. Um, anyway, so this is a different way that I write that's more, a little more theatrical. Um, I live with a playwright, so I think it's influenced by that. But anyway. Just a second ago, I had an urge to toss my drink across the visiting poet's shirt. Hello, I liked your reading. Red wine spreading into the whiteness. It was a wonderful reading of his shirt. My hand, my glass, is still full. Yes, people starting to drift to the cheese and bread. At the wedding, the organist stops. The minister smiles benignantly. She thinks of touching the bride's breast. Hello, I liked your wedding. It's amazing, traffic stays on its side of the road. What keeps it there, really? I trust no one will stand up and scream when I am a bride. I don't laugh when I hear someone has died. You're sitting there quietly right now. Very, very quiet. The slightest noise could cause an avalanche. It's scary when someone gets pushed onto, hello, I liked your reading. The subway tracks. So scary when someone walks into Wendy's, shoots the people eating. What I almost did just a second ago while you were crossing the street while you were finishing your lunch, while you were handing me your terrible secret. I think I'll end there. Thank you. <laughs>